Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports Station. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. The Seahawks defense needs help. You guys already knew that, right? Let me remind you, though. In 2022, the defense allowed 361 yards per game from opponents. That's 26th. 150.2 rushing yards, yards, which is 30th, better than only Chicago and Houston. Need I remind you, they are drafting number one and number two in the draft. They allowed the sixth most yards to running backs, fourth most fantasy points, 23.6 points per game allowed, which is 25th. Bump, they need help. So what we're going to do is look at what the move needs to be. We're breaking it down by position group today. Is just the defensive line, the big guys up front, and you know, and you're going to explain how they play a role in some of the numbers we saw this year. We've also got a list of who's here, who could be leaving, and most importantly, the options this team has. And then we're going to wrap up by deciding what we think the move should be. So let's get started by talking about what went wrong in 2022. You can include what went right, but like, why are we seeing some of these numbers? I mean, six most yards to running backs, fourth most fantasy points. That's not great. No, it's not. With the D-line and O-line, but we're focusing on D-line, it's about controlling the line of scrimmage. How do you control the line of scrimmage? You're going to hear that in football games. You're going to hear that at the local pub. Control the line of scrimmage. That means you don't want your D-lineman getting pushed back. So when you get pushed back, you're in the, the lap of the linebacker. They're not able to maneuver. You don't want your lineman being washed away. Say there's a they're slanting to the right. The offense, excuse me, defensive line is slanting to the right. Defenses washes them away and you create gaps. Defense alignment, especially the interior alignment, their job is to occupy big man and close those gaps so there's no lanes for those running backs to run. Say they do get through a lane. At least they're occupying the big man from climbing up to that second level who are your linebackers so your linebackers can make these tackles. So the Seahawks at times, far too many times it seems like, just did not control the line of scrimmage and allow their linebackers mm-hmm. to go. Now, it's a relationship. These linebackers got to be able to uh, complete the assignment once the big boys do their jobs. It's not always on the big boys. It's on the linebackers, too. It's on the safety if he walks up in the box. He doesn't complete his assignment. It's the guy on the edge. He, he doesn't force contain and force everything inside. Everything is connected. KJ said it plenty of times last yeah. year or this year. The defense should be on a string, man. When one guy moves, they all move. You keep gap integrity. So I look at this defensive line and I go, man, they just had – Trouble at times controlling the line of scrimmage and keeping these these uh, these linemen off of uh, these linebackers. But you're also you're in a three four, so there are going to be times where there's a guard that's wide open that's just going to be able to get to the backers cleanly without any um any resistance. So there are a lot of things that happen. There are a lot of reasons you can't just point to one guy or one position. But they set the tone up front. Here we are also talking about, uh, you know, the outside linebackers at Chinawosu and Daryl Taylor and and how they need to account for the bulk of sacks. Seattle actually ranked uh, top 10 in total sacks on uh, the year with 45, though they really struggled with pressure. So they weren't getting sacks consistently or having a pass rush consistently. They ended up with a great number at the end of the year, but it was right. a little lopsided. Some teams or some games you had four sacks and then in other ones you would go a stretch of three without getting any pressure on the quarterback. Right. We all remember that stretch from uh, in Germany against Tampa Bay Mm -hmm. and then against the Raiders. And then I think it extended one more week where it was like they had one quarterback hit, no sacks. It was just kind of an abysmal show from the pass rush. Then they picked back up. But you don't want those long stretches without any pressure. I think the... um, 
the gut instinct is to look at your uh, your outside linebackers, the speedy guys, and say, okay, Daryl Taylor, what are you doing? Okay, Uchenna, what are you doing? And Uchenna did lead the team with sacks. But those big guys up front can get in there too. I mean, you look at the Rams that have a 3-4, a couple other teams, and they've got their interior guys and their big guys up front still getting to the quarterback. Is that something you're looking at Seattle's guys to do? Do they have a different job that's more important? No, I mean, the job is pretty universal. Yeah. Right? You're big Wreck for a reason. Things. You're out woods <laughs> for a reason. You're not out woods because I want to see you spin, move, dip, and rip, boom, break down. No, you're out woods. I would love to see out woods do that, that, so speak for yourself. That would be impressive. <laughs> impressive as heck if you were able to do that. But no, your job is to be big. That's why they're the hardest position to find. Mm. Good offense alignment and defense alignment. Because the majority of people walking this beautiful earth are not 6'4", 350 pounds, and able to move the way these guys do. Uh, so it's it's tough, man. You look for, for certain attributes. Now, if you're in a 3-4, sometimes you're going to ask your nose tackle to two-gap. That means you're just controlling the A-gaps. If you're in a 3-4, you, you single-gap that thing. So there are little tweaks to the mm-hmm. position, uh, depending on what technique you're in, the one, the three, or outside technique. Uh, so there are some things that you look for. And that's kind of what I'm excited about now, too. I mentioned it earlier that um, Clint Hurt knows Hurts knows what he's looking for. He knows what he needs now. There's, there's 18, 19 weeks of film of them being successful and them not doing what they're supposed to do. So now you go out and you find exactly what you need to help this position group. Well, let's talk about some weapons they have, some they need. So who's here under contract for 2023? This isn't going to be a conversation about, like, who would we cut? This is purely who is on the books and who is not right now. On the books right now in 2023 and under contract, Shelby Harris, Al Woods, Brian Monet, Quentin Jefferson. Uh, as far as off the books in 2023, because he is set to become an unrestricted free agent, Puna Ford. So those are the weapons you have. Let's assume moving forward, we'll see what happens with Ford, but we are just looking at who is actually here under contract. Harris, Woods, Monet, Jefferson. Obviously, you need more. You got guys in the draft, you got guys in free agency, but what do you think of kind of the pieces they have to work with so far? It's not a it's not a, a statement on whether or not you want them here, but just yeah. kind of like what are they working with? Uh, you're working with a veteran in Shelby Harris. Um, he's going to be, uh, I think, a $12 million cap hit mm-hmm. next year. So he's in danger, I guess. They're obviously going to look at the bigger contracts and see what they want to do with him. Uh, but Shelby Harris had his moments out there for the Seattle Seahawks. He's a veteran. Now, leadership <clears throat> doesn't necessarily show up on the stat sheet. Okay, You can look at what Shelby Harris did this year, and you can make the argument that, oh, we didn't get much out of Shelby Harris. He only had, what, two sacks, um, four passes defended. Uh, but he brings something to the table. He brings that experience. He brings that charisma. I love Shelby Harris, man. We did an interview with him, one of the the best guys out there. Um, so that's what he brings. And you look at Monet. The thing that worries me about Monet is he's got that knee injury. Mm-hmm. Man, if he were if he were healthy, then maybe look at him a bit differently. He has that three point six million dollar cap hit. Um, and then you look at Quentin Jefferson, who was at six four. He's in his second round with the Seahawks, yeah. I believe. Now these big bodies are supposed to do exactly that, be big bodies and control the gaps that I mentioned. There were times where they got it done. I mean, you look at Quentin Jefferson, there were times where you called his name and he's in the backfield causing havoc. The thing about these guys, too, is you got to look at their age and how you think they're aging, what their body is feeling like, how much more production can you get out of these dudes. And Quentin Jefferson was drafted in 2016, so he's still a fairly young man when it comes to this football thing. He's 29 years old. You know what's how it goes. But you got five and a half out of him. You get five and a half 
from a defensive tackle, five and a half sacks from a defensive tackle, that's a pretty solid year. Mm-hmm. It's not every year you get a, a Chris Jones with 15 and a half and Aaron Donald with, with 10 plus sacks. Um, it's hard down there because most of the time you are getting double team. Just like the offensive line is a position that is not glorified. Same thing with the defensive line. Because he can do his job and it looks like he's being dominated. So so many times I've seen Al Woods have two guys on him and it's stalemate. And I go, boom, he just won that battle. But people are looking at the TV and saying, what is Al Woods doing? He's just occupying space. He's doing exactly what he needs to do. So it's <laughs> Yes. Exactly. So it's this position, it's it's hard for people to understand their job it is and when they do it correctly because it looks like a loss to them it's hard for me to understand right and I just stare at it all day long during the season and it's like I still you know will watch and be like okay well whose assignment was whose did he pick up someone else's slack like was that what he was supposed to do um I'm gonna stick with the idea as we transition to who could be available in the draft or even in free agency of this now I normally it would be top 10 I'm doing top 11 because one this one of them is number 11 of the top 11 oldest players on the Seahawks roster in 2023 all three of those defensive tackles are in there Shelby Harris at 31 uh, you mentioned Quentin Jefferson at 29 and then obviously Brian Monet at 27 now in the real world that's not old. However, you'd no. sure love to get some young bodies in there, guys that you know you're going to have on rookie deals for at least four years and a fifth-year option, depending on when they're drafted. So you've got some guys in the draft you're looking at. I don't know that Jalen Carter's going to fall to the Seahawks at five. I would guess not. But you want to talk about big bodies, 6'3", 300. Um, Brian Breezy out of Clemson. I think Breezy, 6'5", 305. I mean, when you're looking at number five overall, you have a chance at top your talent. You have a chance at big guys, SEC dudes, right? You're right. talking about looking at some of these big schools, Bama, Georgia, wherever, and saying, like, these are where those big guys are playing right now. You have a shot at one of those guys. You have a shot. It'd be beautiful if Jalen Carter dropped to number five. You'd need so you'd need a run Man. on quarterbacks. A run on quarterback. The second you see mm-hmm. a team trade up and take CJ Stroud at like three, Jalen Carter might fall to you. Yep. You still got Keon White over there at Georgia Tech. You got Lucas Van Ness at Iowa. You got Siaki Ika at Baylor. I, I might draft him just because of his name. True. I love that name. Facts. Uh, you have Keanu. I wonder if he's named after Keanu Reeves. Maybe. Keanu Bitten over there with yeah. Wisconsin. You got Brian Breesey, just like you said. And then also you got Mozzie Smith with Michigan. These are names. And then let me add one more because mm-hmm. I like this kid. Uh, Tuli Tuipulotu. I killed that name, by the way. I'm right, that's good. Uh, but these are names that the average college football fan, they have no idea. Yeah. They have no idea. They don't fall, especially if you're SC. You don't even have your name on your jersey. So you really don't know what's going on there. But these are the type of names. These are the guys that, that should be the first ones off the board. Now, things happen in a draft, man. Things happen where people move up, people move down. Um, you have necessities change with people mm-hmm. because of the, because of that movement. But I'm looking at, look, you if you just go anywhere online and you just Google, say like the top 20, or no, let's, let's break it down, top 10 um, defensive tackles, defensive linemen, you'd be good with any one of those guys. But here's the thing. The gap between Will Anderson and Carter and mm-hmm. everyone else, there's a gap there, right? There's a, a significant gap there. So that's what makes me lead, uh, go into my other point, that if Will Anderson, Jalen Carter are off the board, um, you got a couple other guys off the board, and Geno's gone and you have CJ, you might take a strong look at that <laughs> dude. We know the necessities of this team. They got to get better with that defensive line, and they have to get linebacker depth. Mm-hmm. So there are going to be some names called for the Seattle Seahawks on, uh, in what is it, April? 
that April twenty seventh. I want to say the the John Schneider show. I think on Thursday is that Thursday of the draft. John Schneider is talking with Wyman and Bob ahead of the draft. He's going to unveil. Where he's going to tell them. He's, so he's going to say who they're going to pick at number five. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Reveal everything. He's going to let yeah. us know. Yeah. Here's <laughs> he's going to bring his board for. in studio <laughs> with him. Be like, All right, here's who we look at. Here's who we got <laughs> right up five, here. You can see. Yeah, he's going to let us know exactly what they're thinking. Uh, but yes, but, the 27th. Yeah, the 27th. You're going to hear a name in, in the second or third round that you're not familiar with. You know, the, that's when you get deep. But yeah, those top 10 picks, if you are doing some type of Googling or research, mm-hmm. you're going to hear a name that you recognize. I like the idea of kind of knowing just those two, though, uh, and then kind of which teams need quarterback in the top five. Because if you get C.J. Stroud off the board, let's say Will Levis is the only quarterback left. Both Jalen Carter and um, Will Anderson are gone. C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are obviously gone, too. Then maybe Seattle can sit. That's when you trade back, and it's like, well, maybe you're going to get a defensive guy, and he's not really worth five, but he's worth nine, and you know that the Panthers are going to trade up and take Levis, right? right? Something like that. Like That's a scenario where you could see them trade back and still get exactly who they need. Um, Let's talk about free agency, not just the draft. Uh, We've heard these names a million times uh, on all of our shows because we've all been talking about ways to not just make the defense better, but also because free agency is going to happen first. That happens in March. Javon Hargrave out of Philadelphia. I know they're a 4-3, a little bit different. Uh, Deron Payne out of Washington, two popular names. We can either talk about those guys or we can talk about using free agency in general to address specifically the defensive line. Um, but what do you think in general of either of those names or just spending to fix it? If you have a shot at Deron Payne, you have to sit down and take a hard look at it and figure out what signing him allows you to do elsewhere. And I'll interrupt not to just to add on to it, uh, 20 million for Deron Payne and Hargrave would be what, 18? Probably. Hargrave, he's looking at. Yeah. Give me one second. Yeah, but you, I'll find the number for you. Not to interrupt, but just when Bump's talking about it, know that those are 20. the numbers. When he says sitting down to think about it and work the numbers, he's talking about 20 million. Hargrave, 20 million. <clears throat> so you can go after those dudes. And I suggest that they do go after them and take a good look at it, but then it affects everything else that you can do. Uh, but you look across the league of guys who are available. I mentioned uh, Davin Thomason. He's a guy who you can get on the cheaper end, a guy mm-hmm. who's proven, who's shown that he can play in this league. Obviously, you got Deron Payne. you got Fletcher Cox, who's an older guy. I don't know if you want to go that route. You have Jerry Tillery over there with the, I believe he's with the Chargers, with the Chargers. Um, you know, LJ Collier is on this list. What do you? Let me ask you a question about LJ. What do you do with LJ at this? No, nah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make him do that. No, nah, he's one of the guys who are in question when it comes to what you do with this defensive line. I think do you I move, would move on? on? Have from you seen LJ enough? Collier. You think you'd move on? I think I would. It's. It's. I think LJ Collier. I've interviewed him only a handful of times. Great guy, like absolutely fantastic. A guy that you'd want to have in your locker room. Like he seems very likable. Um, he hasn't worked out for you for four years. Yeah. And it's he could be someone where it's like, how many times have we talked about Jared Kelnick where it's like, what if Jared Kelnick takes off with someone else? What if LJ Collier just needs a fresh start somewhere else? Yeah, sometimes it, that's he, what it he is. He has not been working out for you here. I hope that if he does move on, and I, I probably would, that he does find success elsewhere because you, you want nothing but the best for the guy. It just hasn't worked out here in Seattle. Change of scenery is sometimes something that works special. For guys. Sometimes it really does. It really does. And and maybe that's what it takes for LJ. And we'll see what they think of him. Here's the thing. We don't see the Monday through Friday either. Like We're allowed to go to some practices, but when we do go mm-hmm. to practice, we only see them warming up and then yep. individual drills. We don't see them when it's go time and it's, it's good on good. So maybe LJ showed them something, but we shall see. There's But there are a couple guys that impressed me this year. They're more edge rushers. Obviously, outside backers. We're talking Daryl Taylor. We're talking Chinna Nwosu. But when it comes to that interior lineman look, 
Al Woods, he's an older guy. You got to see what you do there. Monet is yeah. out. You got Shelby, who is uh, costing you about $12 million a year. There are decisions that need to be made. But the one thing I think they need to do, two things, is that you go out, you get a free agent, a veteran, and then you draft you, uh, you draft a young man in, in April. All right. So the answer to what's the move for Bump, and I'll co-sign. Right. I'll lean on Bob's knowledge here. Uh, it's it's going to be more than one move. It's going to be, hey, you might need so much help there that you go free agency, especially if you can take a look at one of those top guys. And then also in the draft, you're going to need more than a couple moves here. That's what's the move for the defensive line, uh, breaking down the position group for you guys, telling you what the position group did last year and how they can get better in 2023. This hour of Bump and Stacy's brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Let's get to four down territory. This is Four Down Territory, going inside the game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down, let's talk NFC 2023. What will be the strongest division? Strongest division. And why is it the NFC South? And it is not the <laughs> NFC South. Not. That might be the weakest. They're still looking for <laughs> quarterbacks over there. Yeah, they are. It's Man, it's the NFC East again. It's going to be them again. Now, you look at Philly. ESPN had their way too early power rankings. They're ranked number two. But here's the thing they have to do. They got to sign some guys. You got Miles Sander. You have Gardner Johnson, James Bradbury, Mr. Pull at Jersey, mm-hmm. Fletcher Cox. You got Brandon Graham as well, who are free agents. And then you got to look at extending Jalen Hurts. I don't think they're going to get all those guys, but I think they'll get the essentials, at least the essentials they think they need and they will extend Hurts. Then you look at Dallas. They're number six on ESPN's power rankings. But here's what's going to happen. Ken Dak Prescott bounced back. Yep. 25 of 15. Didn't Aunt Brian Schottenheimer's over there too with yes. McCarthy? Yep. We'll see what that looks like. They do have Gallup and CeeDee Lamb under contract. But you got to figure out what Pollard and Schultz, the tight end, are going to do. Are you going to pick them up? McGrovin, I think I'm saying his name right, is the only lineman for the Dallas Cowboys that's a free agent this year. And then you're dealing with a mediocre defense. The New York Giants, number 15 on ESPN Power Ranking, Saquon and Daniel Jones will get signed. They received a third round and a sixth round pick for that Tony trade. All right. So we'll see how they maneuver with that. The offense needs a wide receiver and a tight end. I expect them to address that in the draft. And then you look at the commanders, number 18 on ESPN Power Rankings. They're still looking for a QB. They said Sam Howell's going to be the QB number one. I don't know how valid that is. He'll start there. But you bring in a veteran, that might help them as well. Deron Payne, their best defensive player, one of their best defensive players, is on the market as well. If you don't bring him back, what does that look like? But with all that being said, I look at the NFC East and I say, that's the standard so far in the NFC. Yeah, I don't disagree. Second down. In 2023, lots of looks ahead here. What second-year quarterback will have the biggest impact on their franchises? All right, so there's three quarterbacks that I'm looking at. Okay. You got Kenny Pickett over there with Pittsburgh. You got Desmond Ritter if they do not bring a veteran over in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Then you have Sam Howell, the guy just doubted, over there with Washington. the Washington Commanders. You look at Kenny Pickett in 13 games, he threw for 2,400 yards, seven touchdowns, nine interceptions. But he has Deontay Johnson. He has George Pickens coming back. And he has a run game in Najee Harris. Pickens have the best catch rate in the NFL. Fell this year. They ended the season on a four-game win streak, and Kenny Pickett was involved in three of those. He threw for 607 yards and three touchdowns. You see something there with Pickett. You look at Sam Howell. We'll see what's going to happen there, right? He's been crowned QB number one so far. He'll be supported by good defense. He has a number one receiver, and then our comeback player of the year for me, Brian Robinson, uh, running running that thing, but he's playing in the toughest division in the NFC. So now, Desmond Ritter is the guy that I like. 
if he is the quarterback over there, now this is why I like this dude, all right? They're still looking for a veteran QB to kind of mentor my man, all right? They have the number eight draft pick. We'll see what they do with that. Do you trade back? You trade up? What happens? But they have a top three running game coming back. Got Algier back there. You have Patterson as well. Yeah, two receivers in Drake and Pitts. What they need to do with Desmond Ritter, Stacey, they need to treat him like Daniel Jones. This dude can run. Don't just put it on his arm. He's a young fella. Uh, loosen the game up for him. In college, he rushed for 2,100 yards, 48 touchdowns. Rushed for 48 touchdowns, 12 in 2020. To make this thing go, you got to let him be young. Treat him like Dayball did Daniel Jones. I think he'll be okay. If there's no veteran over there, I'm looking at Desmond Ritter and saying that conference is yours to win. Mm-hmm. I like it. All right, uh, third down. It's not just about defensive linemen. I know we've been talking about them all day, but there are some O-linemen on the market. Bump, who should the Hawks take a strong look at? Oh, this is my wish list. <laughs> Jason Kelsey. Oh, my oh God. we love you, baby. He was doing a little dance that little Uzi Vert does. He was doing that dance in the the conference championship game. He's going to cost you about 11 mil. All right, if you can't get him, I like this kid, Garrett. I'm going to murder his name. Uh, Bradbury, I believe his name is, over there in Minnesota. Now, he's young. He's going to cost you 11 mil. He was a first-round pick. He only allowed two sacks and only had four penalties. Okay, with that, you get one of those dudes, and then you add this young man, too. Will Hernandez. He finished the season on IR. He had a pec injury over there, but he only had a 3% pressure rate. That's 13th amongst guards in the NFL. He's a limited run blocker, but he's better in the past. He'll require only about $4 million. The Hawks can afford that. You pair him up with a big name. Like Kelsey, that looks good to me. Was Bradbury an interior? Was he a guard or a center? Center. 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 So two centers, two and, centers a and a guard. I like it. Uh, all right, fourth down. Another mock draft, another twist. SB Nation as the Seahawks taking USC's Jordan Addison with the number 20 overall pick. How would you feel if the Hawks were to make this happen? If they were to make this happen, I'm thinking I go, look, man, three receivers is awesome. I love it. But I'm like, all right, let's look at what else is going on in the league. Who has three receivers? Three, three receivers as their top targets. I look at the Bucks. They have two receivers and a running back. Mike Evans, you got uh, Godman, you got Fournette. Kansas City has a tight end and two receivers. I'm racking my brain as you're trying to see if I can like get to it. The Chargers have three receivers, but none over 1,000 yards. Miami has two receivers and one tight end, and then Cincinnati has three receivers. I say all that to say... Look, if the Titans get involved, do you really need a solid number three receiver? Can you run it back with Marquise Goodwin? Uh, Can you sign a free agent to be that number three receiver? Now, Addison is a great player, man. He had 1,500 yards over there where Pitt was the Blitnikoff winner and all that good stuff. But if this offense implements the Titans the way that we think that they're going to do it, I don't think it's a first-round 20th pick type of thing. I think you can get a receiver deep in this draft. Man, we're a dime a dozen walking this this beautiful earth that we live on. Hey, don't so, sell yourself short. Hey, it is what it is. <laughs> so I look at the situation and I say, nah, don't do it at number 20 because we're seeing across the league that if you just scheme it up right and you have a serviceable number three, you'll be okay. Addison, he's a number one type of dude. Uh, all right, that was four down territory bump telling us some potential free agents he'd sign also. Don't forget about the offensive line. Some names out there he'd pay attention to. We're going to get back to four down territory later in the show. Coming up in the timeline, Andy Reid reveals a really wild name for Kadarius Tony. I'm actually loving this one. Go ahead and put it in top three nicknames. Also, Patrick Mahomes explains why he wasn't kidding about something from the Super Bowl. That's next. This is The Timeline with Bump and Stacy. Brought to you by 1-800-DUIOA. 
If you miss any part of the show, make sure you're subscribed to the Bump and Stacy podcast. That's wherever you get your podcasts Spotify, Google Play, Apple. Rate, review, subscribe. You know the drill. Let's get to the timeline. Reading you the top stories you're going to see on your own timeline, and we're going to get started with Andy Reid after the Super Bowl telling. Um, Jimmy Kimmel, no, this is not with Jimmy Kimmel, Andy Reid explaining with Peter King uh, why the play call on Kadarius' Tony touchdown is called Corn Dog. I'm going to give you a name for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's called Corn Dog. It's called what? Corn Dog. It's not called Corn Dog. Oh, yeah. Is it called Corn Dog? There's nothing better than a good Corn Dog with some mustard and and, uh, ketchup. But he doesn't step into the huddle and say Corn Dog. Oh, no, he says Corn Dog. I... I... Don't know if I believe him, but why wouldn't I? Because it's Andy Reid. No, you believe him. There's there's plays that are that are random. Like I had. What's the most random name of a play? I had a play called um, Iceman. I had a, a play called Grizzly. I had a play called. Um, I had a play called Stacy. No. Yeah, a play what was called Stacy. Was it the best play? We were going for a shot. <laughs> And I'm like, you got to be hot. You remember that song, Stacy's Mom? So I don't like find that song. It. You find some way to associate it. You don't like that song? Well, no, because it's about Stacy's mom and not Stacy. I just think it's a little rude. Stacy's in the video, though. Yeah, but no one cares about her. She's like a main character, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Everything has to be about Stacy. Yeah, it does. I love that this play is is called Corn Dog. Although I do have to disagree with Andy Reid. Uh, there is, in fact, quite a few things better than a corn dog dipped in mustard and ketchup. Also, I don't put ketchup on a corn dog; only mustard. Right? I put ketchup. Really? Yeah. Curtis. I've done both. Tiebreaker. I prefer. It's better mustard. to have just mustard. Yeah, thank you. I two prefer to three. mustard. Sorry I've done o- both. Overruled. Overruled. <laughs> Next up in the timeline, uh, Patrick Mahomes appeared on Jimmy Kimmel and said Andy Reid wasn't playing around with players who wanted to catch some of Rihanna's halftime show. Are you at all watching Rihanna's uh, performance during this? I didn't, but I heard it was great. But uh, Coach Reid told us he said if you go out to watch the performance, just keep walking because you're not playing the rest of the game. <laughs> Uh, he's not wrong. At that point in the game, uh, Patrick Mahomes had just been hurt. Uh, it it was only, I think, a 10-point game. It was a double-digit yeah, lead point. for the Eagles at one point. It felt like it should have been a lot more. We all thought, are the Chiefs going to be out of this one without Patrick Mahomes? You were not in a place where you should be watching to watch that or walking away to watch nah. that game. If you are, leave. And you have the longest halftime of the year. Yes. You can make some serious adjustments. And they did. And typically when what is 13-minute halftime, and most of the time, I'm in the we're in the press box, and mm-hmm. we can see the coaches like run by the press box trying to get down. It's going to take them like three or four minutes yes. to get to the locker room, and then you have you talk to the head coach, you mm-hmm. figure out what's going on, you talk to the DC. You probably have three or four minutes That's to it. really talk to your players. When I was in high school, I won homecoming king. Okay, bump, you get it. And my no 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 no, this is an exact. And my coach would not let me be in the ceremony halftime he goes no this is a big game like that's all serious head coaches and you were take like that. but i'm royalty no i didn't care i'm like i'm trying to win i'm trying to win homecoming i'm trying to win the game i didn't get homecoming queen you probably didn't run though you probably like i'm too good no, for I, this i i was available to be homecoming queen i just they cheated that's what it was they cheated that's what it was mm-hmm. they stopped the count and it was really unfair nfl conspiracy theorists think that the bad turf old groundskeeper storyline you guys know the one where like the 97 year old or 94 year old groundskeeper called the sod father put together this uh field and and for the super bowl that cost the nfl eight hundred thousand dollars uh people think that it was ripped from a 2005 episode of king of the hill in that episode there is a guy who is the wizard of sod 
Uh, his name is Smitty, a.k.a. the Wizard of Sod. And um, all the guys, Hank, Dale, Bill, uh, must fix the high school football field so that the Wizard of Sod doesn't loot his pension. And then hilarity ensues, blah, blah, blah. And obviously this is in light of Arian Foster going on um, the uh, – what was he on? He was on he was a on Barstool, Barstool podcast. Yeah. 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 Um, I think he was on with PFT commenter saying like, yeah, you know, the NFL script. And that went viral because people, there are some people that were like, well, look, we finally figured <laughs> it out. The NFL scripted. And so, of course, in light of that, people are like, well, 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 NFL looks like you borrowed another storyline. This one's straight from King of the Hill. Recycling storylines. That's exactly what it is. You're not even being original with your storylines, NFL. That's straight from an actual cartoon. King of the Hill and The Simpsons are predicting a lot of stuff going on. The Simpsons have it weird. It's it's eerie. The Simpsons predicted. What did they have? Donald Trump's election. Mm -hmm. They had. uh, They've had a lot of weird stuff. Yeah. That they've got. It's been eerie. It's been eerie. Very (laughs) eerie. I don't like it at all. Next up, the NHL will simulcast their March 14th game between the New York Rangers and Washington Capitals on the Disney Channel. This is straight from the NFL's playbook. Yeah. Of putting a game on Nickelodeon. Of course. Why wouldn't you? So Get pretty much ESPN. Fans? So ESPN. Yeah. Well, all of it's owned by ABC, ESPN, Disney. All, all of them are under Disney. the same. Yeah, they're yeah. all owned by Disney, but all of them are under the same umbrella. Yeah. Move stuff around. Go Move ahead around. and do it. Yep. I mean, why not? Like, get young people involved. Also create space on your platforms for other shows that you want to show instead. That's how you do it. I mean, because the NHL isn't a really, at least with the young people that I'm around and I no. train, it's not a real popular sport. I don't know how many of these kids are watching the Disney Channel. My kids don't even watch the Disney Channel, honestly. Mm. But it's a good move. You understand what they're trying to do. You're trying to introduce kids to the sport. And honestly, once you get a taste of hockey, you watch it, and then you experience it live, you'll like it. I don't I don't come across too many people that just say, oh, it's a garbage game. It's it's pretty entertaining. Yeah. I, oh, someone said the sale of the Broncos was on a Simpsons episode. Was, no yeah. way. What? Yeah. It'd be crazy if they predicted they wouldn't, but like Russell Wilson, the entire trade just completely collapsing. I mean, who knows? There might be a future episode that comes out that just is able to predict everything. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't want to see an episode that comes out and it's about like Chinese spy balloons or whatever it is that's in the news right now and we all get really nervous i don't want to know about it yeah exactly you go back and you look and you're like what's happening all right so we need somebody to do some simpsons research yeah find everything the simpsons have predicted that's exactly what i want to know um yeah i think that getting young people involved in sports anytime you know who should do this mlb should do this do they do this curtis they simulcast not lately no they should they do a little league they do a game uh at the little league world series every year yeah uh which i guess kind of is in the realm of this but this is like putting a game of yours Mm -hmm. on a network that is geared for kids and that's a completely different thing than uh you know just saying hey we're at the little league world series uh, and baseball is a sport that is in dire need of younger viewers. Yeah, maybe even more so than the NHL. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it would not hurt. The thing is, is that I don't know if they have deals worked out with these networks in order to uh, make it work. Because I know the NFL has a deal with CBS, which owns Nickelodeon, so that kind of is built in there. Um, ESPN and the NHL have a partnership. I don't know if ESPN's partnership with Major League Baseball extends that far because, like, they don't have baseball tonight hardly at mm-hmm. all anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, they show, like, Monday – or they have Sunday night 
game of the week, and then I think it's like Monday or Tuesday night baseball or something like that. Here's my question. Mm-hmm. With Nickelodeon, you score a touchdown, you get slime. Mm-hmm. NHL, you score a goal. What are you going to get? Like Snowflakes that come down and then the Frozen theme song goes. Oh, like, yeah. Okay. I like that. <laughs> There's I like that. Like I'll design the whole thing. <laughs> it's like, you know when Mickey waves his wand and there's like yeah, stars yeah, that yeah. come out yeah. of it? Is that, that going to trail the puck as it goes along I would ice? love that. Yeah. I'm just saying it's a great way to get young people involved. If I was younger and that came on, I don't know that I'd change the channel. That's the thing. You watch hockey and you kind of find yourself like entranced. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I can't turn away. This is, this is just what it's going to be. This is all I'm watching right now. But MLB needs to find a way to do it. I'm not at all surprised that it's not been something they've done lately because MLB seems to be surprisingly adept at hurting itself. Uh, Let's see if some of the rules that they have coming out in 2023 are going to change some of that, though. ESPN's Jesse Rogers is going to join us at 1 p.m. to talk about all of those new rules, everything from changes to the shift um, to the pitch clock to bigger bases, everything. He's going to join us at 1 p.m. to talk about all the rules, what you need to know, and most importantly, if... And how it will impact the Seattle Mariners, which players could be affected, um, whether or not Seattle is a team that would benefit or be hurt by any of the rules, what we could see in baseball as a result. Jeff Passan was on uh, with uh, Brock and Salk the other day and said that because of the pitch clock, he, he could see games potentially even getting to like under two hours, right? Potentially, rarely, but but you know, happening. Yeah, he said two and a half, but you, you can see, he can see games a game under, under two, two hours. hours, which is insane. Wow. Uh, that potentially happening. So we'll see what happens. Uh, all right. So Eric Edholm, we're going draft first. Eric Edholm, who's NFL.com's lead draft writer, is going to join us at noon. I know a lot of you guys have questions about the draft, what the Seahawks should do at five, who could be available. You can send those in if you want. Um, I've got a list of some, but if you guys have questions about maybe specific players, feel free to ask 866 We're going to take a look around the NFL before we jump to Jesse Rogers at one. First, though, it was the biggest controversy to come out of the Super Bowl, but everyone could forget about it by this time next year. Why? Because I don't know if you guys remember this, but the exact same thing happened last year, and you already forgot. That's next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle's Sports Station. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. With 1 minute 54 remaining in Super Bowl 57 on Sunday, James Bradbury, cornerback for the Philadelphia Eagles, was called for holding on Juju Smith-Schuster, wide receiver for the Chiefs, drawing plenty of criticism from fans, uh, viewers, other players alike in the NFL. Now, the call wasn't necessarily the wrong call, but was it at the right time? That was really the debate that ensued in the following days. Logan Wilson, who's a player for the Bengals, tweeted at the time of this call, just kind of like, you know, that thinking emoji where you're kind of like, hmm, a little, little curious about this. Why did Logan Wilson tweet that? Well, maybe because the same thing happened to him last year. Third and goal. Stafford fires. Knocked away. Flag thrown, though. Logan Wilson was there. And a flag comes in. It's been basically a penalty-free game. Only two on both teams. Watch the call here. Prior to the pass. Holding. Defense number 55. Penalties half the distance to the goal. Automatic first down. Quite literally the 
same thing. That one was with 147, not 154 remaining. Uh, Wilson was penalized for holding on Cooper Cup, which gave the Rams a fresh set of downs. Same thing happens, and then the Rams mm. go on to win the Super Bowl. But y'all forgot about that, didn't you? I mean, I did. I don't know about you guys. Maybe some of you didn't. Maybe some of you Logan Wilson or Cincinnati Bengals stands out there were like, I'll never forget, but oh, I forgot. Our boy Justin probably didn't forget. Oh, Justin never forgot. Yeah, but uh, no, I, I definitely did. I didn't remember until Curtis brought it up in the, uh, the show prep email. I'll go. You are right. And, it's the exact uh, was, same scenario. Was that same Al Michaels scenario. on the call? It was. Al Michaels said it was basically a penalty-free game until the Zebras got to step in <laughs> and influence this thing. Now, I don't even remember if it was the right call or not. I don't. But I remember my feeling when I when I saw the flag. I thought it was, uh, you know what, I didn't think it was warranted. Now, I got to go back and look at it and see if it was legit or not. But in those moments... And I've heard some of the greatest football minds say you have to call the game the way it's supposed to be called. Yes, you are. You got to have integrity. But I want that same integrity in the first, second, third quarter. I want that same integrity throughout the whole entire game. It's almost like these referees have an ego and they want to be remembered or have some type of effect on this game. I hope that's not what they're thinking. I hope that's just a fan of me being bitter that um, these guys are being uh, penalized on penalties that are probably the right call, but happens every single down, mm-hmm. you can make that call. Um, yeah, that's uh, isn't it ironic? I know. The call for Logan Wilson, or rather the call on Logan Wilson, was pretty similar to Bradbury in that like he's not draped over his back holding him back, nor is he kind of like tugging and pulling on the jersey, but his hands are on him just enough, kind of like Bradbury where you're like, you saw the tug from Bradbury from his right hand and then with his left hand that was on Juju Smith-Schuster. If you can imagine it, that's kind of what it was like with Logan Wilson on Cooper Cup where you're like, is he pulling on him? I don't know, but that's going to get a flag because you really don't know. It's a weak call, but it's technically a call that's correct. Mm-hmm. It's the same debate. Exact yeah. same debate. Was it the right time to call it? Now, the reason that this was brought up, thank you, Curtis Rogers, is because it has us wondering um, about, A, whether or not we're all going to forget about this in a year from now. Like, the most controversial thing to come from this game, whether we're all going to forget about it. Or will it go down in history as one of the most controversial calls in sports history? I don't think it does, because, guys, this is quite the list. Obviously, maybe the most controversial, the tuck rule, right? Mm. Well, the tuck rule stemmed from the controversial call, but obviously it was Charles Woodson's sack, um, and it looked like it was a fumble recovery, and instead it turns out that uh, it was not in fact a fumble. Um, so there's that. Oh, it happens, and that's that's part of sports is human error. You know, that's why a lot of people don't want uh, robot umpires because they appreciate human error. You're making humans focus and make a call. But sometimes it's like, can we not use human error like the last two minutes of a game or something like that? Or maybe in the ninth inning or an extra innings. Let's just make it as fair as possible. Uh, But in football, it's impossible to have um, robot umpires out there. There are certain things you can control. There's like down and distance. There's if you break the plane or not. There's first downs. Uh, But they refuse to do that. But the tuck rule was monumental. The change thing. It, I mean, it, yeah, it changed the game. game. It changed the game for sure. They made a 30 for 30 on it. That's mm-hmm. how you know it's serious. There's some other things that happened. The uh, the Des Bryant catch in yes, Green Bay. That, like, when you talk about what is a catch, come if, on. If I'm Des Bryant, 
Did we all collectively decide that would be rule to catch now? Because you no longer have to survive the ground. There's all kinds of different things. You can make a football move and then lose control. But if you made a football move, you're good. You don't need to survive the ground. You just can't use the ground to aid in your control of the ball. And then you have to. You know, it's it's just none of it makes sense. No, it's messed up. I'm sitting there with my son watching a Super Bowl. Devonta Smith, uh, his his non-catch. We're sitting there talking through it. And I look at him. I go, son, I don't know. I don't know what don't they're going to do. I have no idea. There's no consistency in that call. That's one of the hardest things to predict in football, whether these referees are going to count it as a catch. Now, I thought that third and 14 to Goddard on mm-hmm. the sideline where he mm-hmm. kind of bobbled it a little bit. I go, that's probably not a catch. And then they call that a catch. It's um the inconsistency is crazy, man. There are some calls that I do remember, though. For instance, I completely forgot about the call on Logan Wilson, despite the fact that I was rooting for the Bengals in that Super Bowl, as were most people in Seattle. I do, however, remember the no call uh, that robbed the Saints of a Super Bowl mm. appearance. I, that is one of the worst things I've seen. And this is the difference. The call on Logan Wilson was by the book holding. It was just weak. The call on um, James Bradbury was by the book holding. It was just weak. Yeah. Both of us agree on that. Right. The no call was actual defensive pass interference that should have been called, and it was not called, and you couldn't go back in time and change it. And it robbed uh, – there are worlds where the Saints could have found a way, but it essentially robbed the Saints. So now you're scared to throw the flag when it's blatant. Yeah. Zebras, now you're scared. It was it, That was by the book defensive pass interference. And that changed the game as well. Then they went to you can review pass interference, then and then they, they got back. rid of that yeah. because you couldn't get on the same page. One of the more historic non-calls in the world's game, the Apple Cup, the hand of God. You see Maradona yes. with the uh, the header with his yep. hand. That yep. was a huge call right there. And then back then. No, I that mean, wasn't with his hand. I don't know what you're talking it about. It wasn't. It was the hand of God. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse hand of you. God. Metadona can do no wrong. No wrong. That was a big one as well. And I found one that um, was the Seahawks. I didn't even, I don't even remember this one. Vinny Testaverde in 1998. He dove for the end zone against the Seahawks. And the referee um, thought his helmet was the ball. And they called it a touchdown. How do you like, mess that up? It's saying. a silver helmet. Well, 1998, it's a brown ball. 1998, while I don't want to admit it, was a long time ago. So I can let that one slide. The ones that are far more recent are harder to let slide. Stacy, it's a silver helmet. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> With hey. baby blue. Baby <laughs> blue stripes. I don't know. I What's mean, going on? Sometimes guys are colorblind. You really aren't <laughs> quite sure. Maybe, maybe silver helmet looks like a brown football. Who knows? Who can say? Anyways, Man. it was fun to go down memory lane there. We've got a... We got a lot of texts in on some of their famous no calls or calls that they remember. And uh, Des is definitely popping up here on the Mac and Jack's text line. Uh, Switching gears, though. Um, All right. Still to come in the show, we're going to talk new baseball rules with ESPN's Jesse Rogers coming up at 1 p.m. Take a look around the NFL at 1230 before then, though. We are talking NFL draft. NFL.com's lead draft writer, Eric Edholm, joins us next.